Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians? Philippians chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We didn't get very far last week. We got through the first two verses. And we will read down to the end of verse 11. I'm going to read just beginning in verse 1. It's only an extra two verses. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word spoken through the Apostle Paul. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Would you pray with me again? Father, we would ask now that as we come to your word, that you would teach us, rebuke us, change us to be more like Jesus. Help us to love your word, help us to cherish it, help us to want more of it. May you, by your spirit, use it in a powerful way this morning to impact your people. We want you to be glorified. As Paul concludes this section, to the glory and praise of God, and that, that is what we pray, that you would use us and make us into people that bring glory and praise to you. So we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you were here last week, or if you caught the video, um, last week we looked at verses 1 and 2, and we saw that even from the very beginning, and I made maybe a little bit of a presumptuous statement seeing as we only got into verses 1 and 2, that Paul really has this theme working through all of chapter 1, and it's the priority of the gospel, putting the gospel first. And we tried to see and highlight how even in his introduction, even in his greeting to fellow believers, to the Philippians, it's gospel-saturated, it's gospel-infused. That everything, it seems like, no, Paul just can't talk to people or about people in any other way other than infusing the gospel into it. Everything he does and says is through the lens, through the filter of the gospel. Paul and Timothy were brought together because of the gospel. It's what brought Paul and Timothy and Silas to the Philippians. And as a result, the church plant in Philippi. 
And grace and peace is the perhaps one of the greatest summaries of the gospel that you could get. Grace has been shown to us and we now have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's what we saw last week, which now leading into his next section, he talks about the Philippian people specifically. His approach, his attitude that he has towards these people. And even in the way that he talks about these people, again, and kind of expanding on what he said in verse 1, He's still gospel-focused, still gospel-driven. I saw three things that I found helpful as I was breaking this passage down. Three ways that Paul is gospel-driven, gospel-driven specifically toward the Philippians. Number one, he's gospel-driven in his relationships. Number two, he's gospel-driven in his emotions, the way he feels about people in those relationships. And number three, Paul is gospel-driven in his prayer for those people. Paul is gospel-driven. We see the first thing, Paul is gospel-driven in his relationships. We see that his relationship with these people, in verse 5, is partnership in the gospel. That's primarily the big thing. But before we get to that, notice how Paul talks about these people, how thankful he is for these people. I thank my God, this is verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. There's a lot of alls, always. All of you. Paul was praying for the weirdos in the church. He was praying for the awkward people. He was praying for the loud and boisterous people. He was praying for the people that sometimes put their foot in their mouths, that step out too far sometimes and don't know when to just sit down and shut up. He, he's praying for the people who feel unloved. He's praying for the people, if you are in this church, if you are in Jesus Christ, if you have grace, if you have been shown grace and have peace with God, Paul is praying for these people. Every time he brings them before the Father, every time he is praying for the Philippians, he always has this attitude and always prays for all of them. I always pray with joy. Paul is grateful for people, not things, not the things that they give. We know later in the book of Philippians that, that they have given him through Epaphroditus, they have, they have given him a financial gift. They have given him support because he's in, in prison. They've heard about that. They wanted to support him, help him. And the first thing that he's thankful for is not the stuff that they gave them. And his thankfulness for them before the Father is not on the basis of how they benefit him and how they influence him in his ministry, He is primarily thankful and joyful because, in verse 5, of their gospel partnership. Now that that resulted in the specific instance of giving financial benefit by giving financial aid. But he's primarily grateful, thankful, overflowing with joy always. And you can't help but notice the alls as we go through this passage. He's always, always, always thankful and always joyous. And the root of that joy is is their partnership in the gospel. Is that what brings us joy about each other? Is our partnership in the gospel, we mentioned that a little bit last week, that the very fact that all of us are here together, or tuning in, streaming in, however we are, the very fact that Crestwick Baptist Church exists is because of the gospel? That very few of us, and I think I mentioned this last week, I don't know, I wouldn't have known any of you if it weren't for the gospel. If it weren't for this church and the gospel ministry here, the gospel partnership that we have brought together under this roof, both physical and metaphorical, um, 
Does gospel partnership drive what we do? Does the gospel drive what we do? Or is it another common interest, another common goal? It has to be the gospel. The partnership has, in, in the New Testament context, it would have had a, a financial meaning to it. The partnership, investment, they would have been going in together. If you partnered with somebody, you were actually, it, yeah, investing. You were putting your money where your mouth was. It wasn't just saying that's a good idea. I'm going to invest in whatever ministry, whatever thing we're talking about. You were partnering together with another individual, another group of individuals. It had that financial meaning, and it involved money, but it wasn't exclusively money. It involved money, and they sent money to Paul. They were giving. They were willing. They wanted to do what they could, and if money would help, they would send it. But primarily, this idea of partnership Rooted in the gospel, this relationship that they have, gospel-driven partnership, it's self-sacrifice for a shared vision, for a common goal, for the thing that you care about just as much as the other individual or the other group. It was an investment that you watched closely. It's an investment that you cared about. My brother was just telling me a few days ago he just got into investing. And I was chatting with him on Thursday. He said, yeah, I just invested some money earlier this week. And the only thing it's done is gone down. I said, well, it happens. I don't understand the stocks. I don't understand all this stuff. He said, yeah. And I I know it'll change. But it really stinks. (laughs) Like, it stinks. And, And the reason he was watching it every day, he'd tune in and watch it, is because he had invested his money into something. I have no idea what he invested into specifically. But he was watching that, wanting that to do well, wanting that to succeed, wanting to care about where his money was. And because we understand that gospel ministry is more than sending a check, more than just sending money, our investment is not just sending money to people, it's investing our time, our priorities, our prayers. Our investment looks entirely different than just investing in the stocks. And if we are that invested and that worried and we are that watchful with our money in the stock exchange, should we not be that invested and that watchful and that caring about the gospel investment that we've had? We have on that back wall there a number of missionaries. Some are attend our church, some are overseas. Sam prayed for them this morning. Do we recognize that our gospel investment in these missionaries, that our gospel-driven relationship with these people is not fulfilled by simply signing a check? It can be hard through distance. It can be hard when the pilot that we support in Africa, we don't see them that often. It's hard to have this investment mindset, this caring mindset when we don't see people. I get it, it's hard. But Paul, from prison, writes to these people that he hasn't seen for a number of years, and he says, I am joyful, and I am grateful. Why? Sure, you sent me some money, but you care. You're invested in what I do, and you're invested in what I do from the very beginning, from the very moment, from the first day until now, from the moment you heard about the gospel and what the gospel was all about, from the moment you heard about Jesus, you went all in. You went all in with this gospel ministry. Paul is thankful. 
Paul's joyful thanksgiving is rooted not in the things that they give, not even necessarily in the success that they've had, but his joyful thanksgiving is ultimately rooted in the God of the gospel. Look at verse 6. Verse 5 says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day of now, from the first day until now, being confident of this, what? That you're really good at what you do? That you're really good at gospel ministry? That you're really good at preaching? He doesn't even talk about himself. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's confidence grows in the Philippians and in their ministry and in his ministry, not by looking to them, not by looking to himself, not by looking to the money that they've sent. His confidence grows that their gospel-driven ministry, their gospel-driven relationship in gospel partnership, this is going to work. Why? Because I have confidence in God, not in you. And that isn't to, to, to downplay anybody's abilities. It isn't to downplay the people that are there. It isn't to downplay gifts and abilities that we have. But his confidence grew in the ministry because he kept looking to God and not to them. Because he kept looking to Jesus and not to himself. Ah, I have confidence that he who began a good work is going to finish what he started. God doesn't start something without finishing it. And that leads him to joyful prayer on behalf of the believers in Philippi. Paul says, our God is great. He finishes what he started. He started this amazing work in you and it brought us together. Yes, even in terms of planting this church, but you continue to invest in me and I have confidence that this is gonna work. Why? Because our God is great. Because our God, who began a good work, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That is, the focus in view is not just the here and now. The focus in view is the end when Christ comes back. That day of Christ Jesus, when he will be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords for all to see. He is King of kings and Lord of lords now. But when he comes back in full glory and full splendor, that's the end goal. And I have confidence that that's going to happen. That that God will continue to work in you. That's how he feels about them. Which leads us to our second point. Paul is gospel-driven in his emotions for these people. We saw he's, he's joyful, he's thankful. Those are certainly emotions. He's confident. And Paul says in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. All of you. Not just some of you, all of you. That all of you who are invested in gospel ministry, I should have thankful joy. Which... I think, I think that means that if you don't have gospel joy for gospel-driven relationships and the gospel-driven ministry that we have, if you don't have joy for other people, all other people, even the weirdos, maybe your approach is wrong. That doesn't mean that we get along with everybody perfectly. We butt heads, we have different ideas, we have different perhaps priorities in terms of what should happen in our specific local body. But as we come back together, is our thankfulness soaked in joy, not just that we're back together, but that all of us are striving together to the one goal, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of who he is and what he's done. That's our focus. And because that is all of our focuses, Focus eyes? Focus, you know what I mean. Because we are all focused on that, 
we can be thankful for everybody. We can be joyful that we are all here because we are all going towards the one goal. It is right for me to feel this way about you. Joyful, thankful, as opposed to what? Paul will mention in the following section that we will, Lord willing, get to next week, he'll talk about some envy and rivalry that's been stirred up in the church. He'll talk about selfish ambition in chapter 2. There are things, because the Philippian church is not perfect, yes, they, they do have one goal, and yes, Paul is grateful that they are partnering with him. They are not perfect. But it is right for you when you show up, when you see fellow believers that you are filled with joy and thanksgiving rather than selfish ambition, envy, and rivalry. And Paul feels this way. He feels joyful and thankful even in the midst of his chains, even while he's in prison, even while he can't actually physically see them at this moment. And he's telling the Philippians, it's right for me to feel this way and it's right for you to feel that way about me. Don't be ashamed of me and my chains. Don't be ashamed of who I am and the position that I'm in. Normally, if you were put in prison, you wouldn't want to associate with that individual. You would want to draw back. You would be ashamed of what's happened to that person. You would want to distance himself. In some capacity, in some way, an illustration that's helpful, Peter and Jesus. Now, something entirely different is going on there because Jesus is going to the cross Peter was ashamed. He's been, he's, Jesus has been arrested. He's been put in chains and he's being hauled off. And there, there's, there's this temptation to be ashamed of that individual, to be ashamed of what's going on. You normally feel ashamed when people are in prison. And Paul says, no, there's no shame here because it's all for the gospel. And because he says, end of verse 7, because all of you share in God's grace with me. Because all of you are sharing in this, this grace that God has given to us. You're all sharing in this ministry with me. My chains are yours. And that means that because Paul's in chains, for, in chains for Jesus' sake, the Philippians can actually rejoice. They can actually have that joy. Whether I am defending or confirming. Not himself. Paul doesn't say that I'm actually in chains and I'm worried about getting out of prison. I'm not worried about making sure that I cover my butt and get out of here so that I can keep on preaching. He says, wherever I am, whether I'm in chains or whether I'm in chains defending and confirming the gospel, Paul does the exact opposite. He doesn't talk about himself. He doesn't talk about freeing himself. He talks about Jesus Christ. And we'll come later uh, next week, Lord willing, that while he's in chains, he actually uses that as a gospel opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chains, doesn't matter. I saw a comment, I can't verify it, it was just a picture of John MacArthur, and I'm not going to comment on the rightness or wrongness of what's going on in California and what John MacArthur is doing. But I did see that John MacArthur said, you want to throw me in prison? Fine. I've had a lot of opportunities for a lot of different ministries. Prison isn't one of them. Send me there and I'll start a ministry. That was Paul's attitude. Wherever I am, there's going to be gospel ministry. As Paul testifies on behalf of the gospel, God is testifying to the believers that this is truly how Paul feels about them, how Paul thinks about them. Look in verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. God testifies that, yeah, this, this is really how I feel. Wherever I am, whatever my situation, whatever my scenario, 
Whenever I think of you, I'm not saddened by the fact that I'm not with you. I'm not saddened by the fact that I'm in chains and that you seem to have a better situation than me because we'll come later. Paul recognizes that they suffer along with him. They have similar sufferings to what Paul is enduring. And he says, this is my attitude. It should be yours. Whatever your situation is, thankfulness, joy, confidence in God. Is that growing in you? Is your joy and thankfulness and confidence in God growing during these days or has it decreased? Has it been shaken? And I can guarantee that it will be shaken, it will decrease, it will fall if you look anywhere other than Jesus himself. If you look to the government to figure, so that they can figure out what's going on and how things are going to work, if you look to yourself, if you look to your work, and I say this with uh, respect and reverence, even if you look to the leadership of Crestwick Baptist Church, it will decrease. And that is not to say that our leadership, our deacons and our elders are not trustworthy. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying they are not the be-all and end-all of growing your confidence, joy, and thankfulness. It's Jesus. It has to be him. Or it will decrease. And this affection of Jesus Christ, the way that he loves and expresses his feelings for the Philippians, it's not like that phrase, I, I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's not the phrase, I love you to the moon and back. It's not like he's trying to express the bigness of his love, although that certainly comes through in some sense. Paul is saying that I love, that he loves them in a way that it is really Jesus who loves the Philippians. It is really Jesus. I love you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is loving you through me. You have the love of Jesus Christ resting on you because of how I feel about you. We want to be like Jesus. We want to think, act, and love like Jesus. Paul says, this is what I'm doing. I am bringing the love of Jesus. Whatever my situation is, I'm bringing the affections of Jesus Christ in our relationship. This is how I feel about you. And so Paul, after talking about how thankful and joyful he is and that it's right for him to think and feel that way and that he actually wants the Philippians to think and feel that way, that leads him to his gospel-driven prayer, our third thing, in verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul's heart of love, joy, thanksgiving, all rooted in the partnership that they share in the gospel, leads him to pray for not the relief of the suffering that he knows they have, not the relief of the pain and the physical annoyances that they have as they serve together in Philippi. Paul prays for gospel growth in their life, continued growth and progress, that your love may abound more and more. Not that you don't have love, you do have love, but I want that to grow, I want that to expand, I want you to love each other more and more, I want you to love Christ more and more, I want that to get bigger. I want your love to abound because true love, as I read one commentator put it, true love is a dynamic process, not a static possession. Dynamic process, not a static possession. And I think our world has flipped that on its head. Love is something you possess, and when it's gone, it doesn't matter anymore. You can do away with that individual, that thing. It doesn't matter. True love is a dynamic process 
process, a growing, a growth. How do you know that you love somebody? Your love is growing. Continual growth. He wants them to grow, not just in their love, but their knowledge and depth of insight. But of who? Each other? Maybe. Certainly in some sense. You can't love each other if you don't know anything about them. You can, but how do you grow in your love for each other if you don't grow in your knowledge and insight of each other? What's the, um, the love, love Languages book? Is there a book? Yeah, there's a book. There's five. Five love languages. I'm not recommending this. Uh, I, I know nothing about it. Um, but how, how, do you, how do you love your spouse more? How do you love your friends more? How do you love each other more? Well, you got to figure out how they think, how they work, how they receive love. And you have to actually work at loving each other. Are we willing to admit that too? That loving each other actually takes work? Paul wants them to grow in their knowledge of each other. Yes, in some sense, but primarily Jesus Christ in the gospel. Because Paul has just said, I am loving you with the affection of Jesus Christ. My love and my joy, my thankfulness, my feelings and emotions for you is gospel-driven, and I want you to emulate that. How do you emulate the love and affection of Jesus Christ? By looking to him. By seeing who he is and how he loves. He wants them to know Jesus more and more and more. He wants them to love Jesus more and more and more. And when we look to Jesus, not to ourselves, when we look to Jesus, this leads to, in verse 10, discernment. So that, I want you to look to Jesus, grow in your knowledge and love of each other and love of Jesus Christ. I want that to grow so that you may be able to discern what is best that results in purity and blamelessness so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Again, the future is the goal, not the here and now. But the future, the confidence we have in the God of the future determines how we live here and now, how we think and feel here and now. This is all done through God's work. Remember verse 6, where it says, God can testify, not verse 6, what am I doing? Oh, I'm not looking at the right verse. Yes, it is verse (laughs) 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work, that is, it's God that's working in the Philippians, it's God that's working in Paul, and because I have confidence in this God, the God that does work, that started the work at creation, he will finish the work at the end, He's the one that's working in and through me to attain all of these things. If you want to have any hope of doing whatever Paul instructs these people, whatever Paul prays for these believers, you want to love better? You want to have more joy? You want to have more confidence in God? Look to Jesus and ask him to work in you. We live in the present in light of the future. The future reality that is for all of us in Christ Jesus. The day of Christ is approaching and for all those in Christ we have security, we have hope, we have confidence. And in light of that, live now like you will live then. Paul says, filled with the fruit of righteousness in verse 11 that comes through Jesus Christ, not through self-help, 
Not through pulling up your socks tight enough. Through Jesus Christ. Through he who began a good work. And Paul is calling them to actually be holy. Not just have a reputation of holiness. Not just have this outer skin of looking like they're holy. I want you to actually be holy. You are holy positionally in the sight of God because you are in Jesus Christ. But in light of that, live now in the present what is true of you for your future reality. I don't know if this is helpful. Paul is saying don't be a plastic fruit. You know those plastic fruit things that you, people put in their bowls? I guess it's so they don't rot and it looks pretty, I guess. Um, there's no substance to that. There's no nutrition in those. People sometimes let the little kids try to bite them just to see what they'll do. The worst is when they're wax. Have you ever seen a wax fruit? And you, has anybody ever seen a kid eat, try to eat a wax fruit? They really don't like it. Um, Paul is saying, don't be a fake fruit. You have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We have confidence that at the day of Christ Jesus, this is true. That he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. So while we work here, strive for holiness. Be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That is, your roots must be in the river of life, not in anything else. And at this point, we're at the end of verse 11, and you've heard me say, reflecting on what Paul has said, he's talked a lot about the gospel and the necessity and the need of being in Christ. Do you get it? Do you get what he's saying? You are either in Christ or everything else is worthless. You are either in him or your future is not secure. You are either in him or your confidence is just going to plummet. You are either in him and if you are in him, how do I know I'm in him? How do I know if I'm producing righteousness? How do I know that this is true of me? That we have been brought together and our goal is unified in the gospel proclamation of Jesus Christ. How do we know? Does it bring God glory and praise? That's, that's what he concludes this section with. Be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Everything that God does in Crestwick Baptist Church is for the glory and praise of God. Anything that does not bring God glory and praise, not worth doing. Anything that does not bring God glory and praise is not worth thinking about, talking about, meditating on, praying about. If it doesn't bring God glory and praise, now that doesn't mean, let me just stop there, that doesn't mean that we don't pray about the things we're not quite sure about. We pray about those things. We ask God, God, will this bring you glory? And then we move ahead in faith, hoping, praying that God will bring glory to himself. But it is, if, if our goal is anything else other than the glory and praise of God, it's not worth doing. The glory and praise of God is shown, proclaimed, declared, I think as Paul has summarized in this, when people are found in Jesus Christ, when they are found rooted in the river of life. So ultimately, we ask this question, how do I know if I am bringing glory and praise to God, if I am producing fruit of righteousness? Are you in him? Are you looking to him? Not just 
did you pray the sinner's prayer, but are you actually in him? Are you looking to him daily? Does your life reflect the priority of the gospel? The priority of the gospel in your relationships with each other? Does it reflect the priority of the gospel in how you feel about each other? And I think this one, does your, gospel, does, does your life reflect the priority of the gospel in the way you pray for each other? I think sometimes we pray um, in a backhanded way. Lord, this person is really annoying me. Would you just show them how ridiculous they're being and change them? Anybody else prayed something similar to that? Nancy's saying, no, not me. We, we, we pray for people on the basis of how it affects us, how much they annoy us, or how much we don't get along with them. We sometimes pray, and rightly so, but I think maybe overbearingly, we pray for people's physical conditions more than their spiritual conditions. And I'm not saying that we should not pray for people's physical conditions. We pray for people when they are sick because our God is a great healer. We pray for people who do not have what they need because God is a great provider. But Paul, first and foremost, knowing the suffering, knowing their physical situation, says, I want you to love Jesus more, and that's my prayer. I want you to be rooted in him, and I want you to be producing the fruit of righteousness that is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Does that drive your prayers for each other? Does that drive your prayers for the leadership as the leadership tries to figure out what what we're doing and what in the world is going on here? Are you praying, Lord, they've got lots of stuff to wade through, but God, whatever their decisions are, may they be rooted in Jesus Christ and may they bring glory and praise to you and you alone. Does your life bring glory and praise to God? That's a question that you have to deal with between you and God. There are certainly others who could point at your life and say, yes, you have done things that bring glory and praise to God, but only you know if that's plastic fruit or not. Only you and God. Are you rooted in him? Are you trusting in him today? Do you have confidence that the God who started a good work is going to finish it tomorrow, next week, a year from now, that he will keep working in and through you and that your life will bring glory and praise to God. That is our ultimate goal. That is the greatest thing that anybody could ever have written on their tombstone, brought glory and praise to God. Is that what you're doing this week? Is that what you're going to do this week as you go back to work or you go to the grocery store? Is your goal to bring glory and praise to God? Will you pray with me? Father, we need help. Father, we admit that even though on paper and perhaps sincerely in our deepest heart, we are gospel-driven in our relationships and how we feel about each other and the way that we pray for each other, but it doesn't always come out that way. We need your help. We need your help if we're going to have any hope of bringing you glory in any way. We need Jesus to come and take root in our hearts. Lord, we ask that as we go from here, and we all have different places to go, different lives to lead, different areas that we have 
fields of expertise in. May wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we say, whoever we talk to, Lord, help us to bring glory and praise to you. Help us to be joyful and thankful for each other. More joyful, more thankful, more loving with the love that Jesus Christ has. Help us, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Father, we do long for that day when with Christ we stand in glory. We have confidence knowing that you will bring that to completion. And our confidence will grow as we look to you. Lord, may we now go from here covered in the grace and peace of Jesus Christ, growing in our love and affection for him and for each other. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.